somewhere in the bowels of the city that never sleeps. Kevin McCullough, radio host with Salem Media. Is a man also not sleeping. Syndicated radio talk show host Kevin McCullough. And that guy would like a word with you. Many of you know him from his host Trudamas. Of course that Kevin show is going to be great. The only thing that could be greater, of course, would be that Donald show. But we don't have that, so we have that Kevin show. Featuring the music of Dick Tunney and the Dream in Color Orchestra. And tonight, we journey to Bethlehem with Fiona Palomo, Milo Mannheim, Antonio Banderas, Adam Anders, Stephen Curtis Chapman, and We the Kingdom. Also, Senator Rand Paul, America First, Ashley Hayek, and Assignment Desk Weekend. And now, from Times Square, where the NFL football giants are putting up billboards advertising great health insurance and a starting job for literally anyone who's ever played quarterback, here's the... <laughs> oh, Dave, yes. Dave, 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 we're going to get in trouble for that one. Well, you know that most of my friends are Giants fans. True. That is, that is not particularly helpful tonight. Um, yeah, yeah. But I tell you what, let's let's rip the audio off and send it to all of them, just, just in case, nice. because the Cowboys do play the Giants this weekend. Great, great idea. Be all over that ball. Should be a fun weekend. All right, welcome. It's uh, it's a great weekend to have you with us. It is uh, Kevin McCullough, that Kevin show. We are so glad to have you here. Um, and we've got a big night tonight. Tonight is a night I've been looking forward to for much of this year. I heard about a film called Journey to Bethlehem that was in production a year ago. And as I began to find out more and more about it, um, I, I got more and more excited. And this weekend, I got to take my family. Uh, I'm going to tell you, it is worth every ounce of the hype. Think uh, the greatest, if you like musicals, think the greatest showman and think the birth of Jesus. It, that's that's kind of what you've got with Journey to Bethlehem. It is a stunningly good musical. And there's some surprise performances. Antonio Banderas plays the meanest and also quasi-craziest King Herod you've ever seen. And the kids that are in this, uh, the the uh, the kid that plays Mary, the, the young woman that plays Mary, Fiona Palomo. You may, if you're an Outer Banks fan, you know her work. She was in the last season. She's one of the new characters that came on. And you probably know Milo Mannheim. He's been in a ton of stuff. Uh, they're Mary and Joseph in this thing. And... It's just going to be great. So you're going to get little snapshots of it throughout the show tonight. And in our music spotlight, we have got some of the biggest numbers from the actual film. Uh, we are going to talk with the director, Adam Anders. It's going to be a fun, fun night. In fact, coming up this segment, you're going to get to see just how nutty, just how crazy, how kooky Antonio Banderas is as Herod. That's before we go to our first commercial break. So stick around. Now, I, this last weekend, uh, my home network, Salem Radio and Salem News Channel, uh, were the home of the uh, the partner, the media partnership with NBC to do the uh, third GOP debate, the debate of the also rans, the debate of the people who will never have the job, at least not in this cycle, of the president. Uh, but during the actual debate, 
I got to anchor the coverage for Salem News Channel on the Trump rally, which was also going on live 15 miles from the Adrian Arsh Center there in Miami. Kind of cool because we were on top of all of it. But the, to me, the best, the, all of the debate back and forth and Vivek insulting Haley and bringing her daughter into it, all this stuff. The president, with his good lines, none of the lines delivered half as much of a punch as Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who in her um, pregame comments uh, before the president came out, former president came out, uh, landed one of the best lines that I hope gets repeated in campaign spots across the country again and again and again in this next election. Here it is. Sarah Huckabee Sanders from uh, Ted Hendricks Stadium in Hialeah, Florida, this last week. The message to them is very simple. You cannot be the party of women if you cannot tell us what a woman is. <laughs> you could just see feminist heads all over the place just going nuts because they can't believe that she got away with that. She she also said that they're not going to be happy because the first female governor in the state of Arkansas, where she is presently the governor, uh, the first female governor of that state happens to be a Republican conservative. Anyway, what's interesting about this is I think that line has so much punch to it because it is the Democratic Party that wants to define women to basically mean men if they feel like being a woman. So I know it's going to be kind of a, a bizarro thing for uh, people to get used to this, but how can a party, as Sarah Huckabee Sanders just said, represent and be the party of women when you want to abort them, change their gender, remove all distinctions, and basically tell them that now they have to compete against men in unfair areas of competition all over again when you've spent the last 60 years trying to undo all of that. It's a powerful line. And Sarah Huckabee Sanders is on the short list. Some people are talking about maybe her being the, um, uh, the, the running mate for the big guy. He could probably do far worse than her. Uh, she's smart. She always handled the press well when she was his press secretary, and she's just absolutely killing it in Arkansas. So Sarah Huckabee Sanders, good job on you for that. Um, good, good, good line. Great uh, speech the other night. But that line in particular, how can you be the party of women when you can't tell us what one is? That is going to stick. I know political messaging. That is one of the best lines that has ever been written, and it is so timely, especially right now. And even if you think about foreign policy, where are the women's rights organizations screaming about the treatment of Israeli women in the attack uh, from Gaza by Hamas? Th th this, this is a global message. It's not just an American message. And she landed it with the punch and the furor that, it, that she needed to, to give her little southern drawl and a winsome smile, but man, did she land that plane. How can you be the party of women when you can't tell us what one is? 
Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Uh, coming up, Rand Paul's going to be with us. He's got a brand new book out about all of the deception that went on in the uh, uh, in the uh, COVID era. We're going to talk with him uh, coming up. But our first little peek in on uh, the journey to Bethlehem. Here is Antonio Banderas as King Herod. The character that I play is fun, scary. Oh, wow. The sound. Hatred. Misery. No, no, no. And he's a very unstable emotionally character with tremendous power. When you have a character like that, it makes him a perfect villain. It was an incredible joy seeing Antonio bring this historical character, King Herod, to life with such fun and attitude and a powerful, powerful musical voice that uh, delivers one of the best songs in the movie, It's Good to Be King. It's good to be king and have the absolute authority. Antonio, he just brings it all. It was so much fun to see him in the studio and just um, bringing this character to life in uh, a, a sinister way, but also a comical way. Look how the presses were down to the bone. As I see the pie on my velvety throne, pulling the strings on the people below. It's so I am a lover of music, and I think I am an actor because of musicals. And in fact, I own a theater. I am doing more musicals than traditional theater. It can just take us to emotion uh, in a faster track. Harold was a cruel man. He didn't respect human life. Those men are looking for you. Herod must know of the prophecy. He wants my child. You know, there is only one character actually that is going to be triumphant out of this story, and that is the little baby. He took this story and, and just owned it and loved it and poured himself into playing this evil King Herod. And he does it, I think, in a, in a singular way that we've never seen. I think people are going to love it. to Bethlehem. It's in theaters this weekend, and uh, it's gonna it's gonna be a record setter. Stay with us. It's that Kevin show. a few classified documents between friends. I told you, I told you all the time. I knew it. I knew he had some too. Here he is, that Kevin, Kevin McCullough. My next guest, in many respects, needs no introduction to most people who are watching or listening tonight uh, because he has spent a lot of time in the last few years on television fighting toe-to-toe with some of the people that dragged us into the pandemic's I would say a negative uh, side, uh, and in in many respects, without his voice in Congress, we would not know today much of the truth that has been revealed. But there is much more that he reveals in his brand new book, Deception: The Great Cover Up. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Senator Rand Paul. 
Senator, it's good to see you. Thank you for joining us. Glad to be with you, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Um, I want to talk about the book, and there's so much about the entire pandemic that if I, I honestly believe if we had not had you uh, on C-SPAN and Fox News and other places questioning Anthony Fauci toe-to-toe the way you did, we would not have known some of the things, but I know that you've un- uncovered a great deal more, but I want to tease people with that so that they stick around. The biggest story and the biggest concern on my mind right now is our friends in Israel. And I'm curious as to your thoughts about how our response has been, what Israel's response has been, and kind of optimally from your perspective, from a more libertarian, we don't want to get super involved in boots on the ground types of situations in other places. What is the Rand Paul priority for what we should be doing there? You know, it's hard not to see the the horror of the deaths of civilians. I've got three sons who've been to music concerts in our country, and it's hard to imagine, you know, people showing up and just mowing down young kids, innocent kids out at a music festival. It's the images of entire families killed. So it's, you know, it's just gruesome and senseless violence. And, you know, something's got to be done to stop Hamas. And so I understand you know, that Israel has to do something. They can't live this way with people, you know, coming into the country and killing civilians. Now, what happens next from our perspective is a real question. And the new Speaker of the House has decided that in in order to aid Israel or to add additional aid to Israel, that he's going to do it as an individual bill. And it's going to be paid for by taking uh, money that's being wasted elsewhere in the budget. And I think that's the way to go. And, um, Some in our party, uh, McConnell has sided with Biden on this and sided with Schumer and said, oh, no, we want $100 billion. It's the kitchen sink, and we're going to throw everything into it, and we don't want it to be paid for. In fact, President Biden even said it's an unprecedented bar to pay for stuff. And it's like, well, yeah, it may be unprecedented. That's why we have a $33 trillion debt. But even for our friend Israel, I would pay for it by taking the money out of and what Speaker Johnson has proposed is taking out of IRS funds. I don't want more IRS agents anyway. So I think it's a, it's a win-win to get rid of that spending. I think that's going to pass the House. And what I've been telling the Republicans, the big government Republicans in the Senate who just want to launder money everywhere around the world, it won't pass the House and they'll topple the Speaker again. That's what's going to happen. If they force him to take a $100 billion aid package that includes yet $15 billion more for Ukraine, It'll bring down the speaker. He's not for that, and most conservatives are not for that. So I think in the end, the speaker will prevail here. I think it's going to be an individual Israel bill. I think it's going to be paid for. And when Biden says he's going to veto it, I think he's bluffing. You think the president's going to veto an aid package to Israel in the middle of this? I think there's no way. I, I There's so many things about the president and Israel that bother me. Um, so we're I hope that you're right, Senator, and that's that's a more positive um, outlook than I had anticipated from you, so I'm appreciative of that. Speaking of Speaker Johnson, what is your strategy? What is the Republican caucus strategy in the Senate? How can you guys work together even before the 24 election to get things done? I mean, I think the biggest problem facing our country is the national debt, $33 trillion debt. The last three months, we've accumulated over a trillion dollars just in the last three months. Our interest payment has doubled in the last two years. So we've got to do something about it. The House is more conservative. It's controlled by Republicans. So their spending bills will spend less. The Democrats, along with probably some big government Republicans in the Senate, will spend a lot more. And if we take each of these bills individually, the splitting of the difference or the compromise will be bringing down spending. The Democrats will get less spending than they want. And I think that's a good thing. 
In order to do that, the speaker will probably have to keep doing extensions where they do continuing resolutions to keep spending money at the same rate while passing the appropriation bills. The goal of conservatives over there is to pass 12 individual appropriation bills. The other advantage to that is it takes back the power of the purse. Mm -hmm. You then have the leverage. Conservatives have never won the battle of, oh, we're gonna shut down government unless Democrats do this because the Republicans cave and there just isn't the willpower to do it. But let's say we have one bill and let's say it's the bill that hires 87,000 new IRS agents. Maybe we hold one bill and we hold it till uh, there is a compromise and we are able to bring spending down. We do that to every bill. And if you're looking at one twelfth of the government, it isn't so much pressure as all of government closed. It would be one twelfth of government sort of shutting down temporarily until we force a compromise. So I think it's a way to go. And I think that that's what the speaker's mandate is. He has a tenuous and precarious position, but I think it, it will uh, be something that he is intent on doing. That's 12 individual spending bills. Do you think that the Gates coalition will give him time to do that, enough CRs to get those 12 bills done? Maybe. You know, we'll, we'll see. I think that a lot of the past wasn't so much about that they couldn't get to an agreement. They didn't trust the agreement and they didn't trust McCarthy to fulfill the agreement. I think there's a great deal of, of trust with uh, Mike Johnson, and he seems to be just a likable, uh, good-natured, yeah. humble guy who seems to be an honest broker. And it's an extraordinary. This has not happened very many times in the House to pick somebody so junior. In fact, the one speaker that I know that was more junior was from my state, and it was Henry Clay in about 1810, <laughs> and he became speaker in his first term. And that's the only time that's ever happened. But, uh, you know, Mike, I think this is his third term. So this Senator, is isn't this kind of, when you think about it, isn't isn't the very phenomenon of, of Mike Johnson kind of the original idea that the founders had? Like, they didn't really envision like a political class setting up shop and retiring out of D.C., did they? They never envisioned that you had to be around 40 years to be speaker or to be a chairman of a committee. So, no, I think it's a good breath of fresh air. Uh, before Mike was speaker, we actually had a bill together, and our bill was to say that the government, Department of Homeland Security and FBI, cannot meet with either legacy media or social media platform, Twitter or Facebook, to take down or limit constitutionally protected speech. So we already had something in common. I wrote him a congratulations note, and in there I said, it's great to have a powerful ally on our bill now <laughs> since we have a joint bill. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's great. Uh, staying on the political for just a second, 2024 obviously is underway. Um, the former president's trials are also underway. A lot of bad behavior by, in my opinion, by the AG in New York and the judges in the cases. Um, you've got a, a number of people still volleying for uh, that position. If uh, for some reason Mr. Trump couldn't get the nomination and doesn't have the actual lead in the polls that it appears that he has, um, we've had a couple drop out. I, I, I'm often wondering if your thoughts go back to 2016 and what your experience was on the uh, campaign trail as some of this was unfolding. But what do you really think the messaging needs to be by these candidates? And what type of personality are you looking for in terms of who the eventual candidate ends up being in terms of skill set and kind of uh, approach towards their job? You know, I think the polls show that Republicans, the majority of Republicans have coalesced once again around Trump. And I think part of it is, is they've seen uh, how unfair and politicized these uh, prosecutions are. People have seen it and said, oh, my goodness, this is crazy. Ready or not, we'll be right back.
Back to that Kevin show with Kevin McCullough. All right, and we're speaking with Senator Rand Paul. And, uh, Senator, thank you for taking so much time to be with us tonight. We're really grateful. One more question on this. If that is as bad as you've laid it out, and I thoroughly believe that it is, I've had a lot of doctors on my show over the last three years, and it's amazing how quickly government got in between the average person and their personal physician because from the beginning, people should have been consulting their personal doctors who know their medical history saying, this is what you should consider for your age group. Our pediatrician flat out told us, I would not get the vaccine for my kids under any circumstances. That was what our pediatrician told us. But if you didn't have access to your doctor and in states like here in New York, where Governor Cuomo almost de-incentivized you even going to see your doctor because there was a fear that you'd get COVID at the doctor's office, it just became this very isolated gaslighting of sending you to a pharmacy or sending you to a hospital to get your vaccine. And beyond that, there wasn't much help offered. So having seen the evidence that you have and laying it out to the degree that you have, and thank you for doing that, I have contended that there's a lot of faith that has been lost in our major medical associations, and there will be another epidemic at some point. Is it even possible from your opinion as a medical doctor, not as a senator, that the American trust can be rebuilt for those organizations? Probably not. The only good thing that came out of this, though, is there are a lot of voices on the Internet. Like you say, you've met some good physicians and scientists that are honest brokers on this. And I think people are going to know where to go look for advice on this. And there really are people trying to do the honest truth on this. But all the government officials would come before our committees and they would blame the right. and They'd say, oh, you're breeding vaccine hesitancy. I said, no, I'm not. It's you who are breeding the vaccine hesitancy because you're not being honest with us. When you tell us our six-month-old or our 15-year-old need a COVID vaccine, I think it's actually malpractice to do that. And so when you're giving bad advice like that that's not honest and it's against the advice even of your own scientists, people aren't going to believe you on the other vaccines. And so I think they have destroyed trust in this. But the good news is there are some honest doctors out there. Martin Koldorf. Jay Bhattacharya, Vinay Prasad, there's a lot of people out there analyzing the pros and cons of this. And it is true, medicine has always been about individuals. You're not just a cog in the wheel, you're not just uh, some sort of data point. If a 12-year-old comes to the emergency room with chest pain, and I come into the emergency room with chest pain, we don't have the same disease probably. The 12-year-old probably is not gonna be thought to have a heart attack initially. That 60-year-old will probably be presumed to have a heart attack. We treat people differently. COVID was so different based on age. And if they don't acknowledge it, they're not practicing good medicine. Last question. Do you believe there should be some sort of criminal prosecution for the people that did the most wrong, kind of at the top of the rung in terms of what we were told wasn't true? Well, clearly, Anthony Fauci lied to Congress. That's a felony punishable by up to five years in prison. I've referred him not once, but twice. The more information that's come out that he lied, I've uh, cataloged that information and sent it to Merrick Garland at the attorney general's office. Unfortunately, I can't initiate prosecution. People are like, why isn't he being prosecuted? It's like, it's not for lack of trying. I've sent him for referral. He has been proven to have lied in his own words. It's not even me alleging he lied or somebody else alleging he lied. We have his own emails showing that he lied. And yet Merrick Garland, I think, has become so partisan and so bitter over being rejected for the Supreme Court. 
then I think he's basically become, you know, just an active partisan and he isn't going to do it. But it's also what disturbs people across the country is they now think there are two sets of justice. If this had been a Donald Trump advisor, in fact, you've seen it on television, 17 FBI agents arresting somebody in their underwear at seven in the morning and doing it all for political show and CNN just happens to show up to film it. But if it's a Democrat, they look the other way. If it's Hunter Biden's laptop, oh, forget about it. That's uh, Russian propaganda. But this is bothersome to people around the country because they think there's getting to be two sets of standards and that people are going to be persecuted because of their ideology. Would Senator Rand Paul be willing to make another referral in 2024 if the White House and the Justice Department is in a different set of hands? Without question, uh, we'll send them right back up and we'll have to look and see what the statute of limitation is on on lying to Congress. But if we can prosecute him, we will. And the thing is, is he's he also needs to be prosecuted in the public arena. And I think that one he is losing. Ninety percent of people used to believe him. Now, less than half the people do. Yeah. And most people have now heard that there's a good chance this virus came from the lab and that Anthony Fauci approved the funding for it. So history's not going to let him for get it. off. I paid for it. You paid for it. It's, History is... won't let him get off scot-free, I promise you. Senator Rand Paul, it is always a pleasure to uh, pick your brain. Thank you for being with us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Kevin McCullough coming right back from Times Square. Don't change that dial. Ready or not, you'll be right back. That Kevin. Now, back to that Kevin show with Kevin McCullough. All right, welcome back. Uh, very, very glad to have you with us. And I am, you, you may have noticed I'm in a little bit of a good mood tonight. Uh, not only is it Journey to Bethlehem night, we're having a great time uh, rolling out uh, what I think is going to be a huge holiday success of a movie. Um, and there's more of that to come in the um, Simon Desk weekend and in the music spotlight tonight. We've got a lot of good things to look forward to. But I am very, very grateful, and I want to express that um, here and ask you to continue to help us. Um, we started this year back in February with a goal of trying to help 192 human slaves be freed. Um, these are women and children that were taken when they were kind of the spoils of war in Sudan. And in fact, if you want to kind of have an understanding of how they were treated, they were taken very similarly to the way the uh, hostages were taken in Israel just a few weeks ago. The um, uh, Arabs came in, uh, took them violently from their home. Uh, in many instances, um, did highly, highly harmful things to them, raped them, assaulted them, etc. They've uh, subjugated them into slavery in the north for a number of years. And when the global communities came together to end the war in Sudan, the civil war in Sudan, and they created South Sudan, everything got taken care of except the slaves. And there were about 185,000 uh, at their highest point, their highest peak uh, of uh, people that were in slavery in um the North. And so uh, Christian Solidarity International and you and I and the people that have uh, been working on this for a number of years have seen uh, some great success. Uh, we, we believe that the number of people still in captivity uh, is somewhere around 35,000, which means we've helped liberate probably more than 150,000 slaves 
over the years. Uh, there was no government system set up to do it. Uh, the way we have done it is very simple. Christian Solidarity International has um, basically an underground railroad. There are Arab retrievers, slave retrievers that work with Christian Solidarity International. They they want a good relationship with the South. Uh, they go up into the North uh, on our behalf. They find where the slaves are at. They enter into negotiations with the slave uh, masters. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, the slave master is usually willing to trade the life of one slave for a vaccine for their cattle. Uh, they can't get this vaccine anywhere. It's very valuable. It helps their cattle stay alive. Uh, and in exchange for a human life, they'll they'll make that trade. That trade. CSI has the ability to secure this particular vaccine. It's called Navidium. It works very well. Uh, and because of that, uh, they have been able to free uh, numbers of slaves. What, what happens is after they are liberated, they return to South Sudan. There is a recovery camp where they go and they are met by CSI personnel right at the border. They are able to get medical help and um, all kinds of uh, needs, uh, psychological counseling. Uh, they're able to rediscover uh, their Christian lineage sometimes reclaim names that they've had taken away from them, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And after they have been tended to and well-received and uh, helped to recuperate, they are then given this incredible gift called the bag of hope. And it's much bigger than just one bag, but just think about all of the things that someone who does not have anything might need to start their life over again. And, and that's what's in there. You've got uh, tarps to protect from weather. You've got food for a year. You've got seed to plant food for another season. Uh, you've got utensils to cook and fish uh, and clean with. You've got uh, a Bible in their language. You've got a number of things that, they, uh, that, they, that they're going to need in the weeks and months to come. And that's what's supplied in the Bag of Hope. Additionally, there is a little kid goat that uh, is also given, usually a female, and what that means is that uh, they have a way to uh, breed uh, more goats and have a little e-commerce for their life, and the goat will also give them milk and cheese and other things that they will need uh, in that process. It's, it's a really endearing gift, and it is a, it is a, it is a wealth to these slaves who have been uh, so badly mistreated, beaten repetitively, called names that we don't even have an English equivalent for. They're so vile and profane, um, told that they cannot keep their Christian faith. They have to adopt Muslim uh, identities. Uh, they are, uh, their genitals are mutilated because uh, that's what the slave master says that the women must do in order to be a good Muslim woman. Um, there's all kinds of abuse, sexual abuse, verbal abuse, physical abuse that they've endured. So to think about not having anything at all and then to be given this bag of hope, it is really just an incredible new beginning for them. And when they're given their goat, they are then um, they, they then work with the CSI people to figure out where they need to go, where their home was. They try to get them as close back to their original uh, home. Some of these women were taken as children. They don't they don't have much memory, but there's usually a way that uh, with pastors and others on the ground that they're able to figure that out. And then when they get to their when they get to their final destination, the party just starts. Uh, the local community comes out and rejoices that someone who was lost has has come home again. Um, and you make all that happen, friend. Your one-time gift of $250, that's all it costs, supplies all of that. Uh, all of the transportation, all of the bag of hope, 
uh, everything that they need, that $250 supplies. Uh, we had a goal of 192 slaves that we were trying to liberate. As of this week, we are now sitting at 174 slaves freed, which means we have 18 more to go before the end of this year. And I do not want to let one of them slip through the cracks. I, I, I don't want a single one of them to slip through the cracks. So would you be so kind as to tonight picking up a phone and making a gift right now? We could, we could liberate the final 18 right now if we just had 18 people listening or watching across the country that said, you know what? If it was, if it was my family member, I would do anything I could to get them back. I honestly would. Uh, 888-342-1010 is the number, 888-342-1010, 888-342-1010, or if you want to do it online, just go to bringherhome.org, bring her home, bring her, the slave home, bringherhome.org, bringherhome.org. You can give your gift online or you can give it uh, via the phone, 888-342-1010, 888-342-1010. I will tell you that because of your efforts uh, in years past, we have liberated nearly 4,000 human beings from slavery, just us on this show personally. And I'm looking forward to uh, seeing all 192 of these slaves returned home this year. Thank you so much for the 174. Let's go get the final 18 right now. 888-342-1010, 888-342-1010, or bringherhome.org. That's bringherhome.org. Ready or not, We'll be right back. That Kevin. Serving it up with a no drink minimum. It's that Kevin show. Ladies and gentlemen, it is brand new to theaters and some of its stars you may never have heard of, but it tells the greatest story of all time. So from Journey to Bethlehem, here are the leads, Fiona Palomo and Milo Mannheim with the hit song, Can We Make This Work? Too high to 
hard to believe Our future holds more than what we can see We have to trust when we don't understand It could be a part of God's plan Capturing the heart of probably what Mary and Joseph thought. How is it even possible? Can we make this work from Journey to Bethlehem and uh, what is opening in theaters this weekend and I anticipate will be a huge holiday hit. The, the epic musical telling the birth of Jesus and uh, what happened that night. Kevin McCullough, glad to have you with us. It's That Kevin Show and coming up is our number two, Ashley Hayek and another highlight from Journey to Bethlehem. Stay with us. soundtrack search hashtag new music spotlight on spotify or apple music 